Good morning. How are you guys doing? Are you feeling strong? Oh, this is well. You you think it's like a like I got a catch when I ask you that? You feeling strong? Strong in Jesus? I'll take that. That's good. Okay. Um, I think our music stand's getting a little worn out. It's got a lot of miles on it. So, uh, it, strong in Jesus. I like it. Anybody feeling like physically strong? Where's my son? I know he's always feeling strong. You feel a strong son? He's like a trick question. So I do need some, some uh, if not strong, at least somewhat able-bodied folks. Right after the service is dismissed today, we're going to clear out the seating area because we're, we're setting up for the church dinner. Okay. So there was a catch. So there was a catch. It's okay. You're getting a meal out of it. Just one little catch. Okay, so if you are physically able to do so, all right, and if you are not, that is 100% okay. If you don't have business carrying a chair, don't carry a chair, okay? Granny, don't. I know my grandmother. I know how she is. She don't need to be carrying a chair, but she'll try. Just wait. Just wait till, till my mom is in her 80s. I have a much bigger handful. Anyway, <clears throat> She doesn't tonight. Um, we're going to move this, these chairs, the ones in the middle, not the ones around the edge, but we're going to move them into the kids' area, okay? So make sure the kids are not in there because we don't want to squish any kid, okay? So if you're physically able to do that and you're willing to stick around right after we dismiss the service and the kids uh, are dismissed from the kids' area, we're going to move these chairs in there because we're going to set up for the meal this afternoon, uh, 5 p.m., um, let me just clarify something there. It is being catered. catered. It's a pasta meal. Freya's cooking for us. We're super excited about that. And it's going to be fantastic. That's at 5 p.m. today. No, you don't have to like pay, a, pay anything. Okay. Um, we, we got it covered. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. So there was a catch. But there's also a reward. There is. There's a catch and. And um, there will be, oh, what did I hear? Did I hear rigatoni? Baked ziti. There's baked ziti. That's good. And there's gluten-free options as well. Okay, so there you go. There's your catch. Now let's get down to business. I want to welcome you officially to the gathering of Recreate Church, where no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. So, um, you know me, I like to tell stories. I like to tell stories so much that sometimes I tell stories to my kids that are just, I completely make up something on the spot. And then years later, they'll come back to me and say, hey, Dad, remember that one time when you did this thing? I was like, what? Because I just made it up. I got it completely from my father who used to tell me stuff. The guy who killed a buffalo with a rock when I was five, he told me that. I believe that for the next 10, 10 years or so. So, yeah, that's my dad, though. He's pretty tough. Um, we had a bearskin rug growing up. Turns out he didn't ever kill a bear. He just told it to lay there and don't move. And it never got up, and it just laid there and died. Um, so don't move. Don't you move. All right, so the story I want to tell you does take place in a forest. Maybe a few hundred years ago. In the heart of a quiet forest, where a cold, clear stream winds its way around boulders and over the to toes of drooping 
willows and spreading maples, two soldiers in shining armor inch their way forward to a figure standing at the edge of the water. This man is dressed in plain wool clothing and heavy leather boots caked in mud. There's a large wicker basket nearby just in the, in the stream and something splashing inside it. There's several large fish inside this wicker basket that's partially submerged in the water. The man is whistling as he's swinging a bamboo pole and dropping his bait into the water right in a, in a place where the water's still, right behind one of those big rocks. In a hundred years, no commoner has ever dared to fish in the royal stream. So these two guards, they lock eyes with one another. They don't say anything, but they know we've got to stop this man. They leap out and they shout, you there, trespasser on the king's lands. What do you think you're doing? The man says, good day, lads. I say the trout are biting very nicely today, don't you think? I've already got a few. The man doesn't seem frightened at all. He, the, the soldier's spears are leveled right at his heart, but he doesn't seem bothered. He, he doesn't even turn towards them. He's watching his line in the water. This man is a true fisherman. Nothing can distract him. Put down that pole, the guards demand. The man shakes his head. He says, uh, no, you, I can't do that just yet. You, you see, I can't leave until the basket's full. My wife is expecting me to bring home a bunch of fish. She wants to lay fish fillets before our guest tonight. And I heard it from the royal chef that the best way to cook a trout fillet is, is to broil it with butter and lemon and add a little sprig of rosemary at the end. And I think that's exactly what we're going to do. Actually, what I need you guys to do is to go cut a willow stick and I have a bunch of extra line and hooks. And come help me fish with the three of us fishing. We'll have the basket full in no time. Well, the men looked at each other in wonder and in fury. They couldn't believe the audacity of this trespasser. One of them shouted, Trespasser, you have no right to be here. And probed the man with the tip of his long spear. The man didn't budge. He didn't look away from his line in the water. He said, Mind you don't poke holes in the tunic, Corporal. I borrowed it from the royal gamekeeper, and I promised I would bring it back as good as new. The other guard said, I bet you stole it just like you stole these fish. The man fishing there shakes his head and he said, I, I don't see how a person can steal something that's theirs. The corporal is uh, roaring, is roaring now. He says, scoundrel, just who do you think you are? And that's, the man says, well, who do you think I am? And he holds up his left hand and kind of wiggles his fingers. He doesn't look away from his line in the water. And that's when they notice it. The humongous ring on his left forefinger, his signet ring. And they look at his face and then they realize their mistake. This man who was fishing in the king's stream is indeed the king himself. So they fall down on their knees and they beg for mercy. And he lifts them up and he says, hey, it's okay. Now go cut those willow sticks I told you about. And let's get to fishing. So the three of them fish for a while, and they fill up the basket, and he, he brings the trout home, and the royal chef prepares them with lemon, broils them with butter and lemon, adds a little sprig of rosemary at the end. That's a lot of fun. And the guests at the king and queen's table that night were the two guards that almost skewered him. And they learned that night that true authority, it isn't about power, it's about compassion. True authority isn't about 
setting yourself up with something luxurious. It's about setting others free. So I want to tell you another story where some officials came by and they did not recognize the authority of a king who didn't look like a king at the time. And uh, they confronted him as though he were a trespasser, as if he had no right to do what he was doing. We're in Mark 11, verses 27 through 33. This story takes place a few days before the crucifixion. Jesus visits the temple and he's confronted by the religious authorities. They question his authority. And this is what we're going to see today. I have a line here, Janiah, if you'll find that for me. This is kind of the core of the message today. True authority isn't, isn't about setting yourself up. That is, setting yourself up for your benefit. It's about setting others free. We live in a world where most authority is used to set oneself up. But Jesus uses it to set people free. So we're going to read a little bit. And we'll pray. How about that? Verse 27. Then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do these things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, now I pray that you will speak through your word and help us to learn this new perspective on authority. The authority that exists not just to help ourselves, but to help others. In Jesus' name, amen. So just so we're all on the same page, we'll set the scene. Jesus is in the last week of his life. He has already had the, the occasion where he came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He and his disciples are in town for the most important religious festival of the year, um, Passover. They're staying in a little town a couple of miles away, and they're coming back every day to Jerusalem and um maybe you remember the previous day when jesus came to the temple he caused quite a stir uh that's the famous time when jesus went in the temple one of the famous times jesus went in the temple and turned over the tables right wwjd what would jesus do he might turn over some tables just so you know he ran the dishonest vendors out of the temple courtyard so let, let me expand on that just a little bit the temple was the place of worship for the Jewish people and God-fearing people who weren't Jewish. And they would come from all over the ancient world <clears throat> to worship at the temple. Now, at that time, it was a sacrificial system, so you had to offer certain things, certain animal sacrifices, and you're like, ooh, oh, gross, I don't like that. Well, God agrees, and he changed all that with Jesus. Uh, he's not interested in animals. He's interested in your heart now. So... Um, but traveling thousands of miles, it was often impractical to bring an animal with you. So they would get an animal while they were there. But you got to understand, they set up in a holy place where they really didn't belong. They set up to sell this stuff in a holy place. It was in the court of the Gentiles. It was the only place the non-Jewish people could come to worship. And it had been filled up like a marketplace. They didn't need to do that. They took the worship space away. And they charged crazy high prices and sometimes the animals were not of good quality also these people traveling from distant lands had to have local currency in order to pay the temple tax and to buy these animals so there were money changers there in that same space and they would charge incredibly high fees so these guys were doing some things that are really underhanded taking advantage of people 
uh, the religious leaders at the time didn't have a real problem with that because they benefited from the fees, we would call them kickbacks, that they got from these dishonest vendors. Jesus did not like that. So he runs all of these criminals. I want to say run the crooks out of the temple, but we have the crook family here with us today. And Duncan takes it personally. Run the, the crooks out of the temple and all the while telling them that they, that the temple was supposed to be a house of prayer and they had turned it into a den of thieves. So he made a pretty big mess. And then he comes back the next day. I love the gutsiness of Jesus. He comes back the very next day. And who do you think comes out to meet him the very next day? The scriptures say a delegation of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came up to him. These were the groups that made up the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish high council. These are the big shots. Besides the Roman governors, like Pilate and Herod that you hear about, these, this Sanhedrin, this is the group of the most powerful men in the nation. They were the formal, recognized leadership of Israel, both spiritually and politically. They were the establishment the powers that be, the people of influence, they were the authorities. Maybe you caught the title of this message. It's called Jesus versus the authorities. And what did the authorities question Jesus about? They said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do these things? What do they mean by these things? Well, all the things he did yesterday running people out of the temple, turning over tables, chasing out the animals, all of that. In their minds, they were the only ones with authority. People like them, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the authorities. And yet, they allowed the temple courtyard to become a den of thieves. Jesus is the one who cleared it out. They were fine with people getting taken advantage of by criminals because they got an advantage from it. They got paid off. They got kickbacks from it. They got the fees. Jesus was not okay with that abuse of authority. That's really where we're, what we're talking about here. The world has one view of authority. Jesus has a different view of authority. Now, if you watch closely as you read through the Gospels, you notice a pattern that when someone comes to Jesus, if he, and asking a question, if it's a sincere question, if they really want to know the answer, he answers them pretty directly. But if they come to him with an insincere question, it's more like a trap than an actual real question. He'll answer their question with a question. And that's what's happening here. Verse 29. But Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one question. Then answer me. I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And here's the question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. Now Jesus is asking these guys to do something completely reasonable and within the authority they claim to have. Remember, they're the official religious authorities of the whole nation. It was their role to explain spiritual truth to the people. They were the guys who had this job. Okay? It's, it's like asking a carpenter to build a shelf. 
It's a completely reasonable request. They were the ones who were supposed to help people understand the messages of God. They would have been the authorities who would tell the people whether the message of John the Baptist, that's the John here, whether the message of John the Baptist was truly a message from God or not. So Jesus is asking them to do their job, to go on record and to say whether or not John's message was from God or not. Now, John the Baptist was another guy who irritated the religious authorities. As we have seen, the religious authorities were perfectly happy with the things the way they were. The system as it was, the messed up, corrupt system that took advantage of people, gave advantage to them. It was fine. But then John comes along, and he preaches these fiery messages about the, how things need to change. How people need to repent of their sin and spiritual deadness and their empty religious practice. But you got to understand, the empty religious practice part paid off pretty good for the people in charge. It worked for them. Please understand, when there is a messed up dysfunctional system, somebody likes it that way. Not only did they like things the way they were, there's another problem with John's message. John proclaimed that Jesus was the Son of God, the Savior sent from God, the Messiah. And they weren't ready to believe that. So Jesus put them on the spot. He demanded that they get off the fence and choose a side, and they know they've been trapped. Verse 31, and they reasoned among themselves, if we say John's message was from heaven, he'll say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people. For all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Hmm, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So the, the delegation from the Sanhedrin, Jesus asked them the question. They kind of went over by themselves and they, they hashed it out. So, well, if we agree that John's authority was from heaven, um, then we're condemning ourselves. Because John said Jesus is the Messiah. We don't want to believe that. But, but if we say John's message was not from God, all the people love John. They think he is from God. They'll be furious at us. We'll lose the support of the public. So what does this tell us about the authorities? What are they concerned about most? The truth or keeping their power? The current system gave them power and authority and prestige and money. They believed that Jesus was going to mess up their good deal. That was their biggest problem with Jesus. They viewed him as a threat to their authority. But in their defense, they were right. He was a threat to their authority, at least the way they were doing it. Jesus is a threat to the unjust power structures of the world. He turns the idea of authority upside down. The worldly idea of authority means I can tell you what to do that will benefit me. Jesus said, if you want to be great in his kingdom, be a servant. That greatness is not measured by your ability to be served by others, but by your dedication to serve others. Upside down. 
Jesus comes along and he valued the people that the system did not value. He treated women with respect. That was not done in that day. And I understand that there have been points in history where people have used the Bible as a, as a way to mistreat women. That ain't what Jesus did. He elevated the place of women and treated them very, very well. He treated children like they were of value. Children were not taken seriously in that day. If you're happy to live in a time where children are seen as someone to protect, thank Jesus for that. Because that didn't really happen before Jesus' people came along. He treated with respect people from foreign lands and outsiders and people with messed up lives and enslaved people. He touched lepers. He prayed over prostitutes. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus taught us what true authority is for. True authority is not to set yourself up. It's to set people free. That's what he did. And his people went on and continued disrupting injustice. It was Jesus' followers who started organizations to care for orphans and widows. That didn't exist before the Jesus movement. It was Jesus' followers who created the first charity hospitals where someone who didn't have the money to pay could show up and be treated medically. That didn't exist before the Jesus movement. It was Jesus' followers who pushed for the end of slavery in the West. That wasn't happening before then. It was people with convictions of following Jesus that challenged the powers that be and changed the world. And I hope and I pray that it is some Jesus followers who push for the exposure and the end of this horrible practice that is so alive and well in our world and our country called human trafficking. May the Lord give us the opportunity to overturn that corrupt system and deliver millions, uh, um, usually of women and children, from that oppression. We ain't done yet. That's what Jesus' people do. Jesus did not have an official place in the system. He was not officially recognized by the Sanhedrin or the high priest. He didn't have the endorsement of the authorities, yet he consistently and repeatedly demonstrated by his God-given authority through his miracles and his teaching and things like he did the day before in this story, dealing with the things that the real authorities weren't dealing with. He had proven his authority many times. He didn't need to prove his authority one more time to these religious gurus. Jesus didn't have to stand outside the high priest compound and shout anything. His whole life and his whole teaching was a challenge to the corrupt system that let those in power take advantage of others. The religious elite benefited from the dysfunctional system that turned spiritual life into a transaction. It kept them in power. It kept them in money. It kept them in authority. Now be sure, if you look around you in this world and you see a dysfunctional system where the people within it are getting the bad end of the deal... Be sure somebody near the top likes it that way because they're getting advantages from it. Now, you can probably, you're, you're probably thinking of maybe some people in some very high places, but it's all the way down the food chain, y'all. From the halls of government to local communities to schools to workplaces. Have you ever worked in a place where people abuse their authority? To families, 
and even churches. Understand, please, that the Jesus movement was never supposed to be something like that. Christianity was never supposed to be this thing that we're, we're seeing that Jesus is challenging. It's never supposed to be something that's transactional, something that's just about checking the boxes or going through the religious motions or going through the ceremonies or elevating certain people to power. It, in other words, Christianity was never supposed to be a religion. Never. It got turned into one by some folks, but that's not how it started. This whole Jesus movement started with 12 guys who followed Jesus around every day, watched what he did, and tried to live their life like that. That hasn't changed, by the way. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We just don't have the benefit of like having Jesus where we can reach out and touch him in a physical sense, but we have his word, we have his teaching. That's what we do. That's what being a Jesus follower means is we believe in him, we trust in him, we see how he treated people and his values, and, and we go and do those things. That's not a religion, that's a relationship. That's the way it was always supposed to be. I'm convinced that many of the people who have rejected Christianity or faith in Christ have never seen the real thing. They have seen a religionified corruption of what the real thing was supposed to be. I don't know if religionified is a real word, but guess what, folks? A lot of them words Shakespeare wrote, he made them up too. I ain't no Shakespeare. I'm just a Shockley, and I'm making it up today. That the true pure faith in Christ has been religionified to the point where people don't know what they're don't know what they're rejecting. I'm just saying, hey, anybody out here listening to this, don't reject Christ until you've seen the real thing. It shouldn't surprise us that the authorities refused to take a stand that day in the temple. If they agreed John's message was from heaven. They would have to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, and they believed that was a threat to their power. It certainly was, because their power was corrupt. If they said John's message was not from heaven, they would lose favor with the people, which they believed was a threat to their power. So what did they say? What did they say? We don't know. What is, what is the number one job that these guys have? To know. To be the guys who know. They said, well, we don't know. I don't know. Wow. Mr. Feskins, do you ever get that in your class? Something has happened. Well, who, who did this thing? We don't know. You ever raised a kid? Who did this? Who, who dumped these Cheerios in the floor? I don't know. Well, the neighbor kid come by and do it? I mean, who broke this window out? That was my little brother. He's always the one who did that. He was the one, but he was the thing that broke the window. He was swinging at me. I just dodged it, to be fair. They said, I don't know. Their number one job is to know. To, they are the religious authorities. They're the ones who are supposed to know. So what have they proven to us? They don't really care about what God has to say. What they care about is propping up their own power. Setting themselves up. That's what they care about. Imagine that. Imagine, if you will, a system where people in the place of authority abuse their power 
at the expense of everyone else. What a strange concept. We don't know a thing about that, do we? Except maybe in Washington, D.C., in small towns and workplaces and churches and families. Unfortunately, life on this world, life on this planet, will give us a lot of reasons to mistrust authority. That's one of the American hallmarks, or has been, the mistrust of authority. You know, that's kind of who we've been. Listen, if you're as sick as I am of people who abuse their authority and take advantage of those who are under their power, I got good news for you. You're going to like this guy named Jesus. He was so different than that. Jesus has all the power and all the authority of God, yet he didn't use it to set himself up with a life of ease. He used it to set people free. I want to read to you from the first chapter of John. Okay, by the way, the Gospel of John, not written by John the Baptist. Okay, there's a few different Johns in the New Testament. One of them is John the Apostle who wrote it. One of the others is John the Baptist, who's going to be mentioned here. And then there's another John, John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, but he signed it Mark, not, not John Mark. So I want to read, oh, I love this. This is one of my most favorite passages. If you had not read this, listen to it, write it down, read it again, okay. In the beginning, hold on, I better stop and clarify something. When we talk about the word here, this is not like a literal, like physical copy of the Bible. In this, the, the metaphor that is used is Jesus is the word. He's the living word of God. So when it says the word, understand, it's talking about Jesus as the word, the message from God. In the beginning was the word. Who's the word? Jesus is the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. What? Spoiler, Jesus is God. One with God the Father. He was in the beginning with God. What do you mean? He didn't show up at Bethlehem like all the time later? No, he was there from the beginning. He just showed up as a human being in Bethlehem. We'll get there. And all things were made through him, and without nothing was made, without him nothing was made that was made. He was there for creation, yeah. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. The light is Jesus, and through through all that all through him might believe he was not the light but was sent to bear witness of the light that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world that light is jesus he was in the world and the world was made through him but the world did not know him he came to his own and his own did not receive him we saw that in this very passage right jesus came to his own people the jewish nation and while many of the common people believed in him the authorities did not But as many as received him, because some did receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's Bethlehem. There's the Bethlehem part. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. 
and of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus was one with God, is one with God, with God from the beginning, co-creator, savior. All authority is given to him in heaven and on earth. And what does he do with that authority? What does he do with it? He sets us free with that authority. The religious authority were ha- authorities were happy enough to allow people to be used so long as they kept their power. Jesus came and Jesus cleaned house. And just a few days after this, he is going to give himself as the sacrifice for the salvation of people like you and me and the whole world. True authority isn't about setting yourself up. It's about setting people free. Now, I know you've been disappointed by authority figures. You could probably tell me some stories about that. You've probably been disappointed with some leaders in government. We're not going to open that can of worms at this very moment. But I bet you could find one or two who you're skeptical about. You've been disappointed in the authority of some bad bosses maybe you've worked for around through the years. Maybe even some, some people in authority in schools that you didn't feel did things right. You might have even had some bad experiences with religious leaders who abused their authority. I'm extra sorry for that one. They don't represent Jesus when they do that, by the way. And you may have had some experiences where people in your family who are in a position of authority abused their authority. People who put themselves above you and others to give themselves an advantage. Understand, Jesus is not like that. Jesus had all authority, but he used it to set us free. He shows us what power and leadership and authority is supposed to be. So what do we do? What did I tell you? This whole Jesus movement started with 12 guys who looked at what Jesus did and tried to live their life by those values. I think that's what we need to do here. To model healthy authority in our homes, in our families, our workplaces, schools, communities, nations, friend groups. Whatever power or influence you have, even if it's just a little, use it for the good of others. You might say, well, I'm not the boss of anything. I'm not in a position of power. Understand, you do have some kind of influence. You might be the low man on the totem pole. Okay, one place I worked, I said, I ain't even on the totem pole. I'm the wood shavings on the ground. I'm the worms under the dirt beside the totem pole. But God still called me to use my influence in that workplace in a positive way. Look, if you say you cannot stand it when people use their power to get advantages for themselves, then follow the example of Jesus. To whatever degree you have the ability to influence the world around you, even if it's just in your own home, give yourself for the good of others. Step up for the people who are vulnerable. Maybe you cannot fix all the injustice in all the world, but you can make a difference in your world. And you can trust in the authority of Jesus. Look, we are uncomfortable with the idea of submitting to the authority of anyone. We don't like that. It's kind of like grained in us. 
Our nation, America, was born out of the idea is that we don't like somebody telling us what to do who's on the other side of an ocean. We get it. Jesus is not that kind of king. He's a king you can trust, that he truly wants what's best for you. He came and he proved that he wants to use his authority to serve you and to transform you. And there is transformation in trusting Jesus. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for Jesus and the way he used his authority that was so different than what we see in the world. Father, we do pray for those who are in authority over us in an elected office or, or maybe even a position like at uh, work or, or in a home. We pray for them that they might use their authority wisely and unselfishly. That's, we need them to do that, Lord. But Father, we can't always control that. But we give you ourselves that whatever authority or influence that we have in this world, we might use it as Jesus did to serve others, to make a difference, to stand up for the vulnerable, to help those who need to be helped. God, we right now, we want to surrender to you. We want to put ourselves under the authority of Jesus because he can be trusted. God, I can't speak for everybody, but I speak for myself right now. I want to be under the authority of Jesus because I know he'll lead me right. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being a part of things today. You may recall that at the beginning I asked you, don't know why that's flashing, I'm going to stand over here now. There's like a flashing red light over here. Um, who's feeling strong? You still feel strong now? Okay, yeah. Um, if you are at all willing, as soon as the kids area, as soon as the kids are dismissed, we need to move these chairs in the middle, okay? And there may be some, if you want to stick around for a little longer, we'll probably need some help setting up some tables and things. I know there's play practice for the kids, all right? And um, so we'll do that too. All right, you're actually, you're for real dismissed now, unless you're sticking around to help. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you, uh, those of you who are going to make it to dinner, we'll see you at five. Take care.